Now I want to dive into today's message. We are in the final installment of our series, Unstuck and Unstoppable. If you're brand new to Anchor Bend, uh, this is based on a book that I just finished. It will be released in the fall. Um, there is actually a pre-release copy for you. If you've not received a, a, a copy of the book, we've made that available to you today. In fact, at the end of service, if you go out into the foyer, I'd love to sign a copy for you and put it in your hands and just tell you thank you for being here. Here with us. Now, the book was written out of a journey over the last couple of years. It's been a crazy couple of years, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, I don't think anybody expected to go through what we've gone through. And through these last couple of years, I found myself stuck. It was probably the end of 2019. It was in July. I remember I was praying, crying, moping to God, complaining to God. And I was just like, God, I'm stuck. You know, I, didn't, I don't know what to do. And, and God, if I'm feeling stuck, I'm sure others are feeling stuck. And I came across a passage, Acts chapter 27 and 28, and it's really the story of Paul, the Apostle Paul. He gets shipwrecked on the island of Malta, and I felt the Lord really begin to speak to me that, look, just because you're stuck doesn't mean you have to stay stuck. Stuck doesn't mean stranded. And uh, I began to go on a process of just journaling and talking to God and asking him to show me a few things, and that's where the birthing of this book came out of, that we as people, we may get stuck in life, but we don't have to stay there, that God's got a plan for us to keep our life moving forward. And, and I think we get stuck for all kinds of reasons, you know, uh, so, some of us, maybe it's in different areas, maybe it's a relational area, maybe it's a financial area, maybe it's your career or spiritual life, or maybe it's your mental life, your thought life. But, but being stuck or getting stuck is normal. What we don't want to do is stay there. God's got a path, God's got a process, God's got a plan for us, and that's what I've been helping us to do over the last few weeks, and uh, really talked about, specifically the last three weeks, the four areas of our life that are the essential building blocks of life, that if we will focus on, if we will address, we'll discover, and we'll work on these areas in our life, uh, we'll be able to move our life forward. We talked about identity who we are in Christ. We talked about your purpose, what you're supposed to be doing right now, what's your assignment. We talked about your vision. Where does God have you moving forward? What are you stretching your life towards? And today we're going to talk about paradigms. Paradigms. We're going to talk specifically the power of paradigms. And I'm going to give you some keys to understanding paradigms as well as how to change your paradigm if you need to change your paradigm. Now, in the last couple of weeks through this series, we have been talking to the Apostle Paul. That's been the main person of focus uh, for us. And what's very interesting in his life is that no matter what he has experienced, no matter what he walks through, which specifically in Acts 27 and 28, he gets shipwrecked on an island. And then when he gets on the island, he's working and a snake bites him, people start talking bad about him. All these things happen that are wrong and bad and negative, and yet we never see Paul get bitter. He never gets offended. 
He never becomes resentful or even frustrated. We, we, we don't really see that. What we see is that no matter what the enemy brings against Paul, Paul is able to flip the script and turn it around on the enemy. And what we see is that Paul begins to preach the gospel, heal the sick, and miracles begin to take place on the island. So what the devil meant for evil, God turned around for good. And we see that really it's his mentality that the Apostle Paul had the right mentality. He didn't react in situations, he responded. I, I think we've become such a reactionary people. It's like, well, what are you gonna do? I don't know, I'm just waiting. And then something happens and we react and we react. And Paul said, no, 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 I'm gonna go into this with the response that I can do all things through Christ, Philippians 4.13, that no matter what situation, I can. No matter what is the obstacle, I can. No matter what people say, I can. So there's a mentality that he's walking into this situation with. Whether he knew something bad was gonna happen or not, his mind is already made made up. It's a mentality. I can. I can. See, it's one thing to know God can, but it's another thing to believe God will. I think we come to church and it's like, I, I know God can, but the question is, do you believe God will? See, Paul knew God would. That my response is to have his response and that as I do that, that God will do what I need him to do in that situation. I might not like it. I might not want it. But God knows what's best for me and I choose to have the right mentality. And we see this all throughout Paul's life. I mean, anytime you look at what's happening to him, it's not a one-off. This is a pattern of Paul's life. And when you look in Acts chapter 9, you actually see the story of where we see Saul becomes Paul. Saul is the persecutor of Christians. He's actually on the, the hunt and the pursuit to kill and martyr Christians. He's trying to destroy the way in this Jesus. And on the road to Damascus, they have what he calls a Damascus encounter. We, we call it that. It's, he had an encounter with Jesus, and he was never the same. Well, what's interesting is Paul is a zealot. He's a religious fanatic, and in Acts chapter 9, he is going to persecute the Christians uh, because he believes it's a sect, that, it's, that, it's, um, that, that they're, they're not really fully a part of God's kingdom, that Jesus is a false messiah. And so he is religiously zealous, but he's fully deceived. And then he has this encounter with God. Now, what most people don't realize, they're like, well, Saul becomes Paul. But what you don't realize is that immediately after this Damascus Road encounter, when God heals his eyes, he goes into the Arabian desert for three years. We don't know that he preached, that he did anything, but we do know he withdrew himself. And do you know that before he went on his first missionary journey, it was 14 years? Wow. 14 years. See, I think we can say, oh, I have an encounter, and then God, I'm supposed to magically change, but that's not at all what happened. When you look at the context of how we see Paul's life, it's like we have an encounter with God. Now God wants to pull us out of the world and change us and transform our mindset, and we don't go through the transformation, and we wonder why we live defeated. Look at Romans 12, too. God changes Paul's paradigm, and we know Paul's paradigm's been changed because he wrote over half the New Testament, but look at what he says. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, when he says pattern, really that's a habit of thought. That's an old paradigm. 
So he's saying, look, I know that's how the world thinks. I know that's the pattern of the world. But look, don't conform to that pattern. Be transformed. Now, the Greek word there is metamorphosis. You were this, but now you're that. So you were a caterpillar. Now you're a monarch butterfly. And I think we get in and we have an experience where we've experienced salvation, but we never experience metamorphosis. We never become the person God wants us to be. And we expect God, God, would you just do it? Pray for me. And we wake up and it's like, you're still the same. Because he didn't say just lay hands on. Look at what he says. By the renewing of your So metamorphosis is a process. It's like something has to change inside of me, in my thought life, and it starts with our paradigms. So what's a paradigm? Paradigms are the unseen subconscious programming that run in the background of your mind. It's the subconscious. It's the unseen. It's the program that runs in the background of your mind. Now, now some of your paradigms are conscious. You're aware of them, but most of your paradigms are subconscious. That means there's a pattern in your life that you're not even fully aware that it directs your life. It leads your life. There's a habit of thought. You probably, how many didn't even think about how you got to church today? How many had to really think about how to brush your teeth? How many didn't brush your teeth at all? We won't say nothing, just... (laughs) it's a subconscious it's without thought let me show you this picture look at this picture right here so this will help you understand you have a conscious thought and then you have subconscious thought now as they can keep that up there for a second you know most of my life all we ever learned to do was deal with the conscious thought hey don't think that have you ever tried to not think that like hey don't think about an elephant (laughs) What are you going to think about? Right, because you're trying to not think about it. So then you're like, get the word of God. You're going to try to put it in, and you do, and it works. But look, the conscious is just the tip of the iceberg. When do we ever deal with the subconscious? The part of us that is habitual, the part of us that is this program that runs in the background of our life, it's the place where you have the belief system that you have. It's the place where your values were established. Think about this. You vote right now based on how you were raised. Come on, tell me I'm telling the truth. It's like, that, it's like, why? Because that's what we voted in my family. Very few people ever make the shift. Why? Because it's the value system that you were brought up in. I drive a Ford truck. Can I tell you why I drive a Ford truck? I clown and I say because it's better. My best friend drives a Chevy, so we know he's wrong. He's, he's watching right now, and I'm just, that is not God's truck. God's truck is a Ford. And... <laughs> Why? Yeah, come on, my four people up in here. So, so somebody say, why would you say Ford? Let me tell you the whole story. Here's the whole story. I used to cut grass for a guy's name was Joe Cato, and we were driving in his truck. It was a Ford truck. I was 18 years old, and we're cutting grass, and I'll never forget a Chevy, really nice Chevy truck drove by, and it had the words, or the letter WT, WT, and I'm like, man, Joe, look at that truck. He goes, that ain't no truck. I said, Joe, man, look at that truck. He said, any truck that has to put a WT for work truck ain't no truck at all. So why you got to put work truck on it? And, and I, that is why I buy a Ford to this day. 
Somebody put that thought inside of me at a young age. That's why you drive the car you drive. That's why you live with, there, there's these subconscious patterns of thought. A thought is planted into your heart. And once that thought is believed, now it becomes a part of your subconscious paradigm. And if we're not careful, you'll end up with a life that seems like it's out of control, but it's a life you produced. So what's the first key to understand your paradigm? You've got to understand your paradigms impact every area of your life. Every area. Every area. There's not an area of your life that your subconscious paradigm doesn't impact. You just simply live unaware of it most of the time. Look, look at this picture right here. I want you to see this picture. Yeah. How many thought, oh, but you know what? There's somebody who's either watching or sitting in here and your palms just got sweaty. Yeah, mom, spaghetti. You got a little bit anxious. Where everybody sees cute, you see attack. Where everybody's like, ah, oh, you subconsciously went back to the time when you were four years old and somebody's dog came and attacked you as a child. You were defenseless. And now every time you see a dog, you start to, you get a little anxious, a little nervous, something little cute. Little, it's, it's what we call irrational fear. Like that, that shouldn't make you afraid, and yet it does, and you'll end up walking. Have you ever had this? You're like, you walk the whole different way. You're like, that's cute. That, that ain't that cute. <laughs> Your kids want to stop. You're like, no, no, I don't want to stop and pet that dog. That's good. Why? Because of an experience, past pain, past trauma has created a program that you have lived your life with, and subconsciously you're missing out on the... Why? Because of past trauma. Subconscious. You're sabotaging something you were intended to enjoy. And it's, it's, it's how it happens all throughout life. We have these irrational fears that come from hurt and pain. Self-sabotage is more common than you think. In fact, people often live trapped in a cage of their own making and are simply unaware of it. Don't even recognize which leads us to the second key. Your paradigms have almost exclusive control over your behavior, your habitual behavior. We talked about that. Did you know up to 95% of your behavior is habitual? Up to 95% what you eat, how you eat. How many had to think about chewing food? No, no. Brushing your teeth, relaxing. Do you know the way you think has to do with your paradigm, your subconscious paradigm? Do you know that thinking what's possible or impossible, what's logical or illogical? See, some of you have got this mentality, well, that's illogical, that's impossible. I need you to know God wants to break some of those paradigms. He's the God of the impossible. He doesn't fit in a box. He's not going to do it like this and like that. He wants us to step out, and it's the paradigm that says, no, 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 that's not logical. Can we, can we break those? Can we say, how, how many are you looking for a miracle? It's like, this is the year of miracles. We got to break these paradigms that keep God trapped in a box. Do you know your paradigm actually is what determines how you manage time? You have people who are habitually late. Look, I know you always got an excuse. I know. Come on, I ain't trying to step on your toes. Just, but there's a paradigm. There is something inside. Now, I know some people are a little freer than others. But how we live life, 
It's based on our paradigms. Third key is this. Your paradigms create the reality that you live in. The reality that you live in. So paradigm is what? It's your filter. It's the way you see the world. See, you don't see the world as it is. You see the world as you are. It's the way we interpret what happens to us. That's how come two people can have the exact same experience and walk away with two totally different realities. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, we talked, but that ain't nothing what we talked about. (laughs) Maybe you're friends and and you watch something. Have you ever been with someone and you just watch something happen? And then you go back and you talk about it and you're like, did they just see what I see? Because that's not what I saw. Well, what got into the way of the interpretation is the paradigm that built that person's life up until that moment. Let me, let me show you another picture. Check this out. What do you see? Half full. Come on, I got, I got someone's brave. Everybody's, I don't know what I see, Pastor. I don't know what I see, what I see. <laughs> There's no right or wrong. What do you see? Who sees half full? Raise your hand. Who sees half empty? Pragmatics. Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so look, so who's right? Both of you are right. You're both right. Absolutely. And someone said, well, Pastor, why does that matter? Because what you see determines how you respond. Think about, if you see that glass is half full, if you're at a restaurant, anybody ever been to a restaurant? That's your glass and you're like, hey, that's half full. What are you? You're satisfied. You're content. You're not worried. Why? Because my glass is half full. But how many have ever sat there and that was your glass and it's half empty? you like looking around. Where'd she go? Where they at? They're like, what are you trying to do? Like, well, I'm, I'm almost out of water. You're like, it's half full. So you're there. Instead of engaging in a conversation, you're trying to wave down the waiter and it has disrupted your whole conversation and your meal. Why? Is there a difference? Yeah, it's the way you view it. See, life is not about what happens to you, but how you interpret what happens to you. That's what matters most. So Paul, you could say Paul, he was in danger in the city, danger in the field. That brother was in danger with the Jews, danger with the Gentiles. But it's not what was happening to him. It was how he was interpreted. It's like it's an opportunity. God, it's an opportunity for a miracle in the sea. It's an opportunity for a miracle in the field. It's an opportunity for a miracle with the Gentiles and the Jews. And he realized that it's not about what happens to me, but how I interpret What happens? He wasn't stuck in a worldly paradigm, but it was a biblical godly paradigm that God, I can do all things through you. And I choose to have your perspective instead of the old perspective that I had before. The National Science Foundation, here's a very interesting study that was done. It found that the average person has about 12 to 60,000 thoughts in a day. And of those thousands of thoughts, look at this, 80% were negative, 95% were repetitive. They're the same thoughts as the, as the day before. So, so we say, God, I want a positive life, but we think negative thoughts. God, I want you to change me. I gave my life to you. I'm going to church. But the problem is you're only in church for an hour and 10 minutes on a Sunday. And the rest of the week, you're still thinking the same thoughts that got you into the life that you're living today. We've got to make it more than a one-time experience and turn it into a lifetime of transformation. 
Now, you can't go do what Paul did and go to the desert of Arabia, but you should be having your quiet time in the morning. We should be saying, God, in every moment, can you show me your thoughts? Can you show me your ways? And, and go back to the Romans 12, too. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. So in other words, if the world responds that way, it's probably not God's way. If most people say that and do that and act like that, I wonder if it's really the way God wants me to respond. Well, that's just hard work. Yeah, 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 it's hard work, but it's hard work being stuck. Come on, how many you tired of being stuck? Like it's, it's hard work to be stuck and it's hard work to not be stuck. So which pain do we choose? And Paul said, I'm going to change my mind. Look at Philippians 2.5. Look at what he says. He's talking to the Philippian church. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, the original Greek of that word indicates habit of thought, attitude, attitude that directs behavior. So he's saying, look, let this attitude, let this habit of thought be in you that was in Christ Jesus. I wonder if we were to evaluate your life, what the habit of thought would reflect. Would it reflect Jesus or would it reflect us? And then here's where we have to understand, and my passion even with the book, is that the devil doesn't mind that you're saved. He can't take your salvation, but he does want you to stay defeated. And so he is happy to have people all over America and the world go to church, worship God, and live defeated lives. Never dealing with this subconscious habit of thought, this paradigm that sabotages us, and we're confused thinking, well, God, are you real or you're not? Are you going to move or you're not? And the truth is, we are being sabotaged from within. I am convinced the devil gets way too much credit. Oh, the devil's beating me up. Really? Is it the devil or is it us? Is it really him or is it our old subconscious pattern of thinking that has sabotaged what God wants to do? So God blesses you. You start tithing. You give to the legacy offering and God begins to bless you. But because you've never dealt with the spirit of poverty and the mentality of poverty that you grew up in, when God blesses you, you can't even hold on to it. And then you say, well, God's not real. It had nothing to do with God. It had nothing to do with the devil. It had to do with your paradigm of poverty. So here's our goal. Our goal as believers is to align our paradigms, both conscious and subconscious, with God's word so that we view this world in alignment with the way that God views the world. That's the goal. God, how do you view the world? See, we gotta, he doesn't see it the way you see it. Now, he, he sees your perspective, but that's not his view. Isaiah 55, 8 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Here, let me show you. There's always a different view. Show them this picture right here. What do you see? <laughs> I, I don't know, Pastor. What do you see? Somebody say it. Somebody? A lady. Yeah, which, that, that's, I see a young girl. Come on, Kenna, who sees a young girl? How many are baffled? You're like, young girl, I see. What's the other thing? Does anybody see anything else? An old lady. <laughs> it's like, y'all were scared to say it. It's an old lady. Young girl, an old lady. So here's what I would ask in your situation. It's just like this picture. Which, which does God see? Both. Which one is right? 
whichever one God is trying to get to you. And that's where we as people, you can say, but God, I see a mess. God's like, I see your mess, but I see a miracle. You say, oh God, I see this dysfunction. God's like, I see that dysfunction, but you know what I see? I see a healing. I see something supernatural breaking through. So though there are both perspectives, which perspective are you going to choose? So how do we change our paradigms? Okay, I'm going to give this to you. This was probably one of the hardest messages because I put it all into this. You got to go read the book because I talk about trauma triggers. There's a whole lot more extra great stuff in there. But I want you to walk out today. Okay, pastor, I recognize that there are some things I need to change on the inside. How do I change my paradigm? Here's the first key. You got to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal old paradigms that are sabotaging your new life. Holy Spirit. Reveal to me old paradigms that are sabotaging my new life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Holy Spirit. So, you, you, see, you got to go beyond just you and say, Holy Spirit, God on the inside of me, help me to see what I can't see. David does this. He cries out in Psalm 139, 23. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. And I think it's scary. You know, if we got to be candid and honest, and it's a little scary to ask God to search me, to investigate me. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked. And yet we ask God, God, I need you to investigate me. Why? Because I want to get unstuck. I know there are some things that were planted in my heart at a young age. Maybe it was recently. Maybe it was when I was a child. And we say, God, expose the lie of the enemy so that I can get unstuck and move my life forward. Now, if you think God is mean and malicious and vindictive, you're afraid of that. Because it's like, oh, it's like your dad's going to slap you. I can't believe it. No, 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 no. That's not God at all. God is a loving father, a gracious father. And what he wants to do is expose where the enemy has come in and the lies that were believed so that you can live the life that he has created for you to live. I, I experienced this firsthand in 2019. It was three years ago. It was as I was writing this book. We were looking at this property. We were portable. I'll never forget the, the journey. Um, we were growing. It was pre-COVID. And so we're like, man, we've got to find a permanent location. We called in some consultants, and they came in and helped us start looking at land. And this property was one we had looked at before. But we had decided, hey, this may be the location. They added all the parking spaces that you see. They were able to make this facility work. And we had just completed the construction of our dream center, the Fort Bend dream center, if you remember that. And so we had reserves, but we didn't have any money for expansion. The church was doing financially. We were solid. We were doing well, but we knew if we were going to buy this building, we had to move now. And we had to raise a million dollars in a hundred days. How many remember that journey? We were, we were at BF Terry and I, I just felt like the, the team was behind us. We're like, God, if, if this is right, we're going to do it. And I'll never forget asking God, God, is this really you? I just need a word. I just need to know. Because if it's, if it's us just trying to have a location, oh, we'll go through that. But if it's you, we'll do it. Well, lo and behold, I went to a morning prayer. It was 9 o'clock in the morning. It was Saturday morning prayer. And the Lord really spoke to me. The first scripture I opened up was Jeremiah 32, 
27, I am the Lord. Is there anything too hard for me? And in that moment, have you ever had the word of God just leap into your heart? It was like, man, it is done. I sense it. I feel it. I know it. And so I held on to that word, and I kept hearing fishing with Johnny, which is so random because it's something that happened when I was 15 years old, and there was someone that I, I, I asked him to help me process this story, and I'll never forget, I went to him and said, look, I'm, I'm, I, 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 it's going to be silly, but I keep hearing the Holy Spirit tell me to go process fishing with Johnny. Now, I've been in counseling for about a decade now, and so I understand how to process, and the Holy Spirit was taking me deeper, and so we start, and for about an hour, I begin to talk about fishing with Johnny. I was 15 years old. My friend named Johnny, I don't remember his last name, but his name was Johnny. His dad just bought this amazing big boat, and so they were going fishing, and Johnny said, hey, you want to go fishing with us? Well, my dad worked in restaurants, so I didn't get to spend a lot of time fishing and out on boats. And so I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. He said, well, why don't you come over? So Friday night, I go over to Johnny's house. We load up all the fishing poles, and I'm telling you, they got fishing stories for days. Like, where the, you know, you just throw your line in, and you just pull them out. And I'm thinking, man, this is going to be awesome. Getting my hopes up. I'm all excited. Then all of a sudden, as we get ready to go out on the boat, it starts pouring down rain. And I'm, I'm heartbroken. And I'm thinking, man, I got my hopes up. And I'm just like, ah. And Johnny said, hey, why don't you stay the night with us? It's supposed to clear up tomorrow. We'll go fishing tomorrow. Ask your mom if she'll let you. So I call Jesus' sister and said, mom, hey, can I stay with Johnny? Now, Johnny wasn't a believer, so it was a miracle that she even let me stay at his house. Come on, somebody. But somehow, mama let me stay. And I remember just praying, God, please don't let it rain. Let tomorrow be a great day, a clear day. So we get up in the morning. Now there's overcast. It looks like it's going to rain. However, there's a break in the sky. So it looks like there's a chance we go get all the fishing poles. We load them up in the boat. And lo and behold, it starts downpouring like a monsoon. And they looked on the radar, said, hey, we're not going to be able to go today. The rain is it's just too much. Here's what happened in that moment. In that moment, I made an inner vow that I will never get my hopes up again. Because when I get my hopes up, I just am let down. I'm like, wow, that's a powerful inner vow. Had no idea that was an inner vow. Here's the second truth or the second lie that I believed as true was that God does miracles, but he'll never do them for me. Because I was praying, God, listen, I've never, here was my thing, I'd never asked you for anything. I was raised in church. It's the first time I'd ever asked God to do what seemed like a miracle. And so in my heart, some, now imagine that I'm a pastor. I've been pastor now for six years. We've seen miracles. And it's like, God, I, I could quote scriptures on miracles. I could help pray with you for miracles. I believe for miracles. I experienced miracles. But do you know what I realized? Here's what I realized. None of those miracles were because I prayed for them. They were because God did them and I was grateful. So when they happen, I'm like, woohoo, he's a God of miracles. But on the inside, I'm fighting. Would you ever do one for me? So here's the truth. When I was asking God if he wanted us to buy this building, I wasn't asking, can we buy the building? I was asking, can you keep it from raining?
something broke on the inside. I realized that paradigm, you're living in the miracle of God breaking that paradigm. You're experiencing the miracle right now. See, and I didn't even know what he was doing when he gave me that scripture, Jeremiah 32, 27. See, sometimes God breaks paradigms, and we don't even know what he's doing, but now I look back, he was breaking that paradigm. He is the God of miracles. He does miracles for me. He does miracles for you. He loves to perform miracles. And that really is the second thing that we have to do. We have to replace the enemy's lie with the truth of God's word. You have to. There's no other way. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, we demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought. He doesn't say some thoughts, a couple of thoughts. Look, he says every thought, and we make it obedient unto Christ. He said, was it possible? If it wasn't possible, he wouldn't tell us to do it. And we know that Paul lived this way because we see it in the way he lived his life. You have to know the devil's a liar. Much of the pain and the trauma that you have experienced in your life happened when you were young, defenseless, ignorant. You know, I always, I, I kind of like mess with me now, devil. I got a little bit of hood up in me now. I'm like little Rose Rich up in here. Like I'm like, but he don't mess with you when you're old. It's when you're child. It's before you were saved. It's before you knew who you really were in Christ. And so now we can hold off the enemy. And that's where the conscious, but that's just a little iceberg. It's like, I know better. But have you ever dealt with the subconscious? Have you ever dealt with the things that he did when you were a child? The lies that he planted into your heart. Now, the lie of itself has no power until it's believed. But as a child, you don't know any better. You're like, you just believe. Just believe. God wants to reveal some of those beliefs that were planted by the devil. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. John 10, 10 says he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But listen to the backside of that. God has come that you might have life and life more abundantly. You're not powerless. You're powerful. You're not weak. You're a champion. You're not a victim. You're a victor. Listen, in Christ Jesus I don't care what the world says about you. I know what God says about you. 1 John 5, 4, everyone born of God overcomes the world. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. That God is alive and well, and he wants to defeat the power of the enemy in your life. Come on, stand up.